uh, we will continue uh, to work through this psalm as we tackle the, really what is at the heart of Scripture. Uh, literally, this is very much in the middle of what we know as all of Scripture. Uh, and, and it's also, I, I think, has the theme of the heart of all of Scripture that to some extent you could use as a uh, guide of how do I understand God's word? And maybe if you take notes or if you look at this uh, later online or what have you, then you would be reminded of God's heart. Not just this morning, but throughout the week. But I want to start as I normally do, because uh, questions are a way for me to kind of imagine something different. Trip over to the club thing and I'll move it out of the way. You know, sometimes, isn't it true? This is my argument. Isn't it true, though? Sometimes it's those little things that cause us to trip. It's not always the big things. In fact, a lot of times, even in our faith, it's not the big struggles that trip us up. It's the little struggles, the little things. I'm reminded just now. Uh, you know, the Screwtape Letters by C.S. Lewis, uh, one of my favorite authors. Uh, he has a way in his fiction work to bring to life uh, the truth of Scripture. Uh, the Screwtape Letters, if you've never read it or you're not uh, familiar with it, is um, a series of letters from two uh, demons, a low-level demon, like a very new demon, a young novice, not very skilled, and an upper level. Uh, demon, and one of the things that happens is uh, someone comes to know Jesus, and, and uh, you know the thought from the uh, not as well versed demon is, "Oh, my job is done." But the words is, "No, your job is really kind of just started." Uh, the goal was not to uh, try to trip him up with the big things; it was the little things. Why don't you look at your neighbor and say, "Well, you know, they don't really act like a Christian very much." If they go to church. Or look at somebody else going, at least I don't mess up like they do. You know? Or how awful is the world? And all those things. And before long, you tripped up with other things. In another passage, it talks about helping them to focus on the good things, but not on who Jesus is. Good things of life can trip us up. If we're not careful. That's right. We gotta just hop them up and out. You know, is what we need to do. And that is a reminder about sometimes all we can do in life is survive. And sometimes that's necessary, but you know what? Part of what I'm noticing is we have gotten stuck in survival mode. We got stuck on just surviving. And here's what I'm starting to realize about survival mode. It's, it's necessary at times. In fact, I told someone just this week, your goal the next couple weeks is to survive. When you're in the midst, middle of crisis, when you've had a, maybe a health scare, when things have fallen apart, you shouldn't set the bar up, I'm going to thrive, I'm going to be excellent. But if you get stuck in survival mode, you tend to fight. 
because you're fighting just to exist. Now, I look at the world and I see us fighting a whole lot. We're fighting, to some extent, to exist in relation to one another. We're in constant fighting, and I wonder if that's because we've gotten stuck in survival mode. As believers, as communities, as families, as leaders throughout the world. And so in order to do that, we can't let somebody else have something that we think we might need or want. And so we will fight in order to keep our place. But I don't know about you, if you've ever met somebody who was just existing, that's not a very fun, enjoyable life. I've met people just existing. And, and, and you're beyond just surviving. Survival is necessary, but sometimes we just exist. And I'm not talking those who are medically unable to really live full lives. I'm talking about truly people like you and me. Existing. I still remember uh, one individual that, you know, my job as a pastor at the time put me in, in situations where people ask me questions that I'm not qualified to answer, and I try not to. And, you know, I try not to answer what I don't know. And this is the person who came to me and said, Pastor, different church, so no one here, don't try to figure it out, okay? Uh, Pastor, my doctors say I need to have my leg amputated. What do you think? <laughs> what do I think? Uh, I'm not thinking about whether or not, you know, uh, what do you mean, what do I think? Well, I'm not sure I really want to do this. I get it. I get you're not sure you want to do this. But we started talking. And I said, well, what quality of life do you have now? Well, I kind of just exist. Okay? So if you amputate, will you still just exist? And I'm like, well, no, I might be able to do something else. Okay. And the question is, well, what do you think I to do? And I said, well, I'm not going to tell you what to do. But I believe God created us more than just to exist and survive. We weren't just created to sit in this world and exist until our days are up. If so, it's a pretty hopeless and meaningless life. And when you exist, when you have no higher calling, when you have no higher understanding of this world, you will fight with anybody and everybody about your rights, your thoughts, your opinions, your feelings, and you don't come against it. Yet, as our psalmist says again and again in Psalm 192, or 119, he says it in verse 73, Your hands made me, O Lord, and formed me. So give me understanding to learn your commands. God is the creator God of this world. As the writer of Psalms is picking up, he, he's been reading the, what he calls the law of the Torah. 
five books, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. As I should have started with my thumb and looked at All right, those five, the Torah, the law, and, and part of the purpose of those was to remind the nation of Israel where they came from, who they were, and who God is. No wonder then, in the very beginning words of our scriptures, is in the beginning God created. God created. And everything else that's going to come out of this is based on that premise that God created. You and I were created for a purpose. Even in the very first two chapters of our Bible, God's Word, He didn't just create Adam and Eve and say, well, just sit there on a rock and do nothing. Just exist in this world. He could have, and we would have known no better. In fact, we probably would have our best life. But he didn't. He, he created them. He formed them, and he gave them a reason to have been created and formed. And that is the question of all of Scripture. That's the question of the nation of Israel. God called them out in Exodus for a purpose, for a reason. Would they live into that? Or would they go their own way? God created you and me for a purpose. I don't remember what I was either trying to put together or putting together the other week. But I did something that some of you ladies will find amazing. I looked at the instruction manual. Oh. I know. Oh my. Oh. All right, Larry's already saying, well, we, he's not much of a man he is. Figure it out. You know, I did. And it worked pretty well when I finally just did that. I've gotten smart enough in my years to do that. Now, I did a project yesterday that I didn't look at the instruction manual. Why? I knew what I was doing. And I had the right tools to do what I needed to do. But, you know, here's what happens at times is, if, you know, if, if we wanted to understand why something was created, would we not go to the one who created it? Right? You know, we, we have uh, lots of things. You know, uh, I have a, a tablet here. I know how to use this a lot, but, but if I want a deeper understanding or I wasn't quite sure how to use it, I'd probably ask somebody who created it. What was the intent? Not because I can't figure it out, but it may give me insight into its purpose, to why it exists. I can keep doing things the way I want, and I may do okay. But I might miss something. That is what the writer of Psalm 119 is trying to get us to get. Is we were created for a purpose. Are you looking to the creator for that meaning? Or are you going through life trying to figure it out? Because sometimes life will get you into survival mode. We read here in, in these verses about how 
uh, the uh, people around him are coming against him. And he talks in 81 through 88 about how his soul is fainting, his eyes are failing. How long must he wait? I'm almost wiped from the face of the earth. It's not life as roses. It's he's trying to just exist. Life is tough. But if you realize that you have a purpose, you might in those times of toughness and even in times of goodness say, why am I free? And here's where scripture comes in. God and his word is eternal. Verse 89, your word, O Lord, is eternal. It stands firm in the heavens. What does this mean? Have you ever thought of that? God's eternal or eternality. It, it's where we get the word eternity, so we get this understanding of futureness. But at the heart of what he is proclaiming is God has always existed. This is the question that, you know, boys, I don't know if you've ever asked me, maybe not, but others have. Uh, so who created God? Right? Any parent ever heard that question, who created God? Alright, some of you? You know, others, you know, guess what? We're living in a world that may ask that question, not because they're antagonistic, but they have no understanding. Okay? So, who created God? Well, by definition, God can't be created. Okay? He is uncreated. He's always existing. And there has to be a point, we know from science, that our world had a beginning. We can debate over how that beginning started. I'm less concerned about debating that than going, we know there's a beginning. If there's a beginning, there is someone, I would say, who started it all. And if you say God was created, then there has to be something that created God. It's the truth of Scripture when it talks about God being the beginning and end. Not that he started, but he's always existed. He is what we could call self-sufficient. He doesn't need us. But yet he created us. There's value right there. There's value right there. It means that even if no one ever believed in the God of the Bible, he would still be the God of the Bible. And when it, the psalmist says his word is eternal, it's also saying it doesn't matter if anyone ever believed the truth of Scripture, it would still be true because it's the word of God. This is important, and I know this may sound a little heady, but, but as he is saying, if, if God is not self-sufficient, if his word is not self-sufficient, then we are without hope. And he goes on when he says, your word is eternal. Your faithfulness continues. Your law endures. Therefore, he can wait a little bit longer. Therefore, he can continue to do the things that are found in the word of God because it will not fail him. It's 
See, part of the issue in our world of surviving is we think we have to be self-sufficient. We think we have to be self-existent, that we can't need anybody else, that we don't need anybody else. And the truth of Scripture says there's only one who is self-sufficient and self-existing, and it's not you or me. It's God himself. Yes, many of times, even as believers, we bought into the, the law. That it's, I can trust Jesus and, and proclaim Jesus as Lord, and I can do this life without his word or without him or without him. That would be great if we could find somewhere in Scripture that he says, just believe in me and then just go after our own little way. But that's not what he says over and over. He is eternal. But maybe we ought to look to him at what he says. But not only is he the creator, not only is he the eternal God, he sustains us, and his word sustains us. Hebrews 1 3 says this The Son, Jesus, is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. All things are sustained by Christ. You are sustained not because of your efforts. It doesn't mean you should just go be a bump on the rock. You know, that can be nice, but that's not what this is talking about. In fact, uh, uh, the kids and I, we, we were doing a little adventure in the past couple of days, and and uh, one of the things I love about, especially my boys, is they could probably exist by sitting on a couch for many hours at a time. And I kind of like that myself. You know, right, boys? Especially you, Dana, right? You could, you could exist just uh, being on the couch for uh, long periods of time, right? You know, get up, go, get something from the kitchen. You know, well, Josiah, you're not that much that way, are you? You kind of like the act of every so often, right? Yeah. Yeah. All right, first, I really wanted to do something. I'm like, uh, do I really want to do something? Probably should, you know. And uh, so we decided we were going to go to a miniature golf course yesterday. Uh, I might not be in my right mind because I took three kids by myself to a miniature golf place in the middle of the day. You know, I was smart enough to put sunscreen on them and me for win. Alright? And and here's the funny thing. We had a blast. It's part because we were out. Part there's part of when we understand God's word, when we understand his sustaining us, he sustains us not just to exist, he sustains so that we may go out and do something. God never calls you just to stay put. You go, well, what about those who can't be as physically active? I think of our shuttings. They can't. I know Liz would love to be out and about, and, and Martha would love to be out and about, and Phyllis, I'll tell you, Phyllis is found the ministry. Okay? we got to be open to it. You know? 
Liz and Martha and others, you know, it's a ministry of prayer. And I know that may be small consolations to them at times, but it's the most important thing. It's the most important thing. If we raise up a generation of people who say, who understand that prayer isn't passive, prayer is active, then we understand why we take space to pray every single week around here. Long times. It's a reminder of who sustains us. It's a reminder that we are not self-sufficient. It's a reminder that we need to look outside of ourselves. And it's a reminder that Christ is not done with transformation. He's not done yet. See, sometimes the, the, the tragic thing, and I've noticed it in, in some, not around you necessarily, but elsewhere, is when you rightfully understand God's word, you rightfully understand where things are going, we can get in this idea of, I'm just going to sit and wait until the second coming. A beautiful thing. Jesus is coming back. Okay? Guaranteed. Maybe, hopefully, today. I would not be upset. But I can't just sit and wait and hope it's going to be today. Okay? Because, you know, I've said this to many of you, I have my uh, firm beliefs in a literal return of Christ. Okay? In a rapture of Christ. I believe that's what Scripture teaches. But you know what? The church has been waiting for almost 2,000 years for that. Do I believe we're closer? Well, we're closer than we were yesterday. Or 2,000 years. years ago. Could it get worse? I sure hope not. But it could. But I'm not just going to sit and wait until that happens. Because to do that, you know what that makes us? Pretty darn selfish. Because we're just waiting until we get out. You know, as I read the Gospel of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, I never find Jesus just waiting to get out. Because he had an idea that he was coming for transformation, for life. And if I'm going to be like him, I've got to realize I've got to go out and say, Christ isn't done yet. Yet there's coming a time, Revelation 21 says, when God will say, I am making everything new. But that's not yet. In fact, and even in my own belief, by most people's belief, that happens after a tribulation time. Which, just because it comes back doesn't mean everything becomes new right away. I don't understand some of that. But I know God in his wisdom, the God who is self-existent, his word which is always faithful, his word which will never die, says he's always up to something until he says, it is finished. So, you and I have hope. We have a hope in Christ that comes because we were created by Christ. We are sustained by Christ, and Christ and Christ alone is eternal. He alone is self-sufficient and self-existent. And so we can't have hope 
throughout this world. And that is what we proclaim as we get ready to come into communion. This hope that we have, not because we deserve it. You know, one of the things I love about when Jesus uh, calls the 12 disciples, uh, Scripture says he calls those he wanted. Do you, do you realize how much easier it probably would have been for Jesus if he didn't have a group of guys following him around? Have you ever thought of that? Some of you know that. You know that it's harder to get a group project going than it is just to do it yourself. And that some of us know it real well that we will, even if we can't, and I'm guilty of this, we will not only, uh, we will give the project to somebody else, but what will we do? We will tell them exactly how to do it. As if they are us. Larry, I've got some great truth for you. You would be a poor me. You would be an awful me. Is that an amen? You would. Guess what? I'm an awful version of Larry. You don't want me to try to be Larry. Can we do some other things? Yeah, you better call than I am, that's for sure. And we're working and everything else. I'm better than other things. Christ didn't call us to be the exact same way. He gave us the same command, love me and love others. How Larry will love others is not the same way I will love others. Unfortunately, I'm not judged by Larry. I'm judged by Jesus and his standard. The self-sufficient one. And the beauty of the gospel, the beauty of the cross, the beauty of this table is when we are in him, when God judges us, he sees us as Christ. I wonder then, if he also says, no, go, make decide. No wonder then, he also says, not only do we have this judgment of are you in Christ, but what have you done with Jesus? And there are the rewards of heaven that we will get, according to Scripture. Why? We, God doesn't need to give us rewards any more than I need to give my kids anything other than what's necessary for life. But I do. We didn't need to go and to talk on this day. I'm sorry, but I yes, we did. <laughs> but you know what? We wanted to. When we get this idea that Christ wants you to, you're able to go, I also want to see I want it because he loved me enough. I want to do it. I want it because he loved me enough. I'm willing to say yes. Don't we do this in other ways? I mean, couples. How many times have you ate wherever your spouse wanted to? Not because you wanted to, but they wanted to. And Jim, Jim and Lisa, yeah. Most of the time, maybe. I want to have love. Yeah. What? Yeah. Yes, dear. You know, and that's the same thing here. And when we do that, we come to realize. How sweet are the words of God, sweeter than honey. And then we get to the point where we say, I will obey your commands. Friends, 
don't just exist this week. I don't know what will happen this week to you. I don't know what will happen to me. But don't just exist this week. Lean into the purpose God has created. Look into his word and you will find life. And then go and do life. And all things. Because, not because you are needed, but God wants you. God wants you to do that. And so as we come